we talk about songwriting from the standpoint of individual songs pretty often. That is mostly what this podcast is all about. But in this episode, we're going to take a step back and talk about how to sequence our EP or our album, how to figure out what the right song order is and the different ways to think through how to decide what song order to go with. Because in my opinion, there are four different journeys that your listener is going to go on. And sometimes you have to prioritize one over the other because sometimes one is at odds with the other. So you have to figure out what is most important to you and where the compromises are. But let's dive into it. Let's talk about how to sequence your EP or album. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Joseph Vidala. Honored to be talking with you today. Honored that you would take some time out of your day to listen to any podcast or video or anything about songwriting at all. Glad that you care enough about the craft of songwriting to take the time to listen to anyone's podcast about that. And of course, I have an extra level of appreciation that you decided to pick this one. I appreciate that. If you haven't already, be sure to grab my free guide on the 10 different ways to start writing a song, especially if you're new to songwriting or if you need to write a few more songs, get a few more songs done that will work in context of the EP or album that you're working on, especially if you feel sort of creatively dry, like all your songs are starting to sound a little too the same and you feel like your EP or your album will be one of those EPs or albums that we all know of that gets that accusation of, like every single one of those songs sounded the same. We don't want that. We want to find that fine balance between having a sound, having an artistic identity, but also not sounding all the same. There's a fine line there, admittedly. Great way to do that is by changing up how we start writing our song, which is why this guide is all about 10 different ways to start writing a song. Get you thinking about different ways to sort of start with your song so that you're not just going to the same thing over and over again. Like, for example, what I think is most common, people sort of grabbing their guitar, coming up with a chord progression and going from there. That's certainly a valid way to start writing a song, but it certainly shouldn't be our only way to start writing songs because it will keep us fairly limited. So go check that out. It's at songwritertheory.com slash free guide. But today we're talking about how to sequence our EP or album. And I wanted to sort of give context to this by talking through what I think are the four journeys that an EP or album takes somebody on, because there's different elements to consider when we're deciding song order. And very often, at least several of these will be at odds with each other. And depending on what you prioritize, you may make different decisions, even per EP or album, you might change the decision based on the nature of that EP or album. Um, but even what I prioritize and what you prioritize might be totally, totally different. Um, so I'm trying to give the four different things to consider. Um, you may prioritize different ones than I do. And you know, who, who am I to tell you which one is the right one? I might give a little side on what, what I think the right thing is, but you don't have to care about that part. What you uh, maybe should care about is just overall the different things we're considering. Because ultimately, I think we all know it's not just like, oh, take 10 songs and throw them in and just mix them up and it will be fine. Um, may maybe, uh, but probably not. So there's sort of a, a, a whole different art to coming up with the order of songs in the context of a collection like an EP or an album. So first one, first journey to consider is the story journey. So story journey is probably exactly what it sounds like. It's just thinking about the ideal sequence of songs story-wise. So this one is very lyric-driven, right? Because the story of your EP or album is going to be determined by the lyrics. This is why lyrics are important, because like it or not, the actual story being told is with your lyrics. Now, an extreme example of this um, would be a concept album that's telling one story, right? So if you have a concept album or EP that's telling one cohesive story, 
Do you want to tell the story chronologically from beginning to end? Or do you start with the end and work your way back to the beginning? Or do you have two different perspectives and the first half is, you know, one of the two people's perspectives and the second half is is the other person's perspective? And maybe you have like a, a song in the middle that, that sort of is just like an instrumental to split them up. Or you can steal this because at this point I don't think I'm ever going to do it, but an idea I had way back in college that I still like um, but is basically – an album or an EP where it's sort of two different people coming together. Um, so uh, part of the reason that I probably will never do it is I would need to get, um, I, I don't know. My, my wife is not exactly a singer, so it's, it's and it would be weird. To, anyway, whatever. Not the point. So the, <laughs> the idea is that it would be some sort of uh, love story or something. And at first, when the two people maybe haven't even met yet, there would be like a song that I would sing and then a song that the woman would sing. And then as it progresses and we meet and the a story begins, eventually we'd like show up in each other's songs more, right? Because at first we don't have each other in each other's lives, but then sort of as, as the EP goes along, it would become more and more duet-like, at least at parts, until we come to the final song or the final couple songs where it'd be like straight up duets, Right, because I don't know, maybe we're married in the storyline or you know, we're together, whatever it is. Right. So, and don't at me if that already exists. Maybe it already exists. But way back in college, I thought, hey, that would be a cool idea. And here we are, um, like ten years later and I haven't done it. So if you want to do it, go do it and then send me a link, uh, and and steal the idea. But anyway. That would be another example of, of a way to tell a story, right? In that case, it is kind of just a sequence and order, um, but another way to m maybe look at it because it's, it's it's tying two storylines together. Uh, well, two points of view on the same storyline, sort of. Um, well, two different storylines for two different characters. But anyway, without getting into the, the, the nitty-gritty, right? You could also pull a Star Wars, right? You have the, your original trilogy, if you will. Your It doesn't have to be a trilogy, obviously because these are songs, but, you know, you have the certain story and then you go back and say, but wait, you know, this one character or, you know, this one element of that story, let's give more context to that, how that happened. So even if it's not a concept album, right, this still applies because maybe you have some songs that are somewhat related story-wise or somewhat in the same story vein, or even though you didn't intend them that way, they actually sound like it could be the same voice, the same person, and one is the person, you know, like like you could have a, a love song that that's from a perspective of someone who is is starting to doubt that the relationship is going to last, but they desperately want it to, to then an actual breakup song. You know, maybe not in the traditional sense, but a loss of love song, right? That makes, as far as a story goes, those two would fit together nicely, right? Because it's, it's a it's a progression. It's it's going from when you feel that like, oh no, this is probably not going to be forever, to now being like, and indeed it was not forever. So that would be an example of the story journey. Story journey is ultimately just saying lyrics wise. What is the story of this EP or album that I'm telling? Or even what what are the different sub-stories I'm telling within this EP or album? For an EP, you probably don't have that many sub-stories. At best, you have probably two different stories going. But for a full-length album, right, you could theoretically have several different stories all kind of pulled together, and they have sort of a central theme. So lyrically, how does one song flow into the other? The next thing to consider... And this is going to be the favorite of probably, if you have somebody mix your album, um, this this might be the one that they only think about, or at least it was when I had uh, the first album I did mixed. Um, but that's a musical journey. And specifically with the musical journey, what we're talking about is thinking about the ideal sequence of songs musically, but this is driven by the key. So let's say your EP has five songs, three in the key of C major, and then two in the key of D major. It might sound musically good to start with your three songs in the key of C major, because they're all in the same key, so they they will 
sound natural flowing into one each, one another, and then do the two songs in the key of D major. And specifically, you go C to D because it gives that rising feeling and it gives sort of the, the sound of a key change, if you will, because a common key change would be just going either up a semitone or up a whole tone. In that case, you're going up a whole tone, right? So C major, and then you're skipping over C sharp major to go to D major. So it would not be uncommon to have that key change in within a song. Uh, so in this case, you're just doing it over sort of the, the course of your five-song EP. So this, admittedly, makes it easier to flow one song into the other. Because, you know, if you, if you think about songs flowing into one another, probably the epitome of that is when you have something like a DJ who, you know, I don't know all the terms to it. I don't pretend to know that much about DJing. I've just been to enough school dances back in the day to, to know what they do generally. But, you know, so there's the end of a song, right? And then it's just as usually the music or, you know, some sort of maybe remixed version of it or whatever. But anyway, they kind of repeat it at the end. But then a new song sort of comes in and, and combines with it. And then eventually it transitions into just the new song. Now you do that by having the two songs be in the same key, right? If you have two songs in D major, you probably can, can do that. You can pull that off. And also it makes it a little less stark when you go from one to the other. So even though you're probably not having one song flow into the next to such a degree that literally one song is still going while the other one begins, it's the same idea, right? It just has a little bit more separation. So when it comes to thinking about how one song's key flows into the next, let me just give you sort of the, the what I would say are, are like the, the big four to, to consider. One is the same tonic. Um, now, for the record, pretty much all I'm about to say also applies to key changes within a song. Um, so we, you can consider that the bonus sub podcast, if you will. Uh, what uh, you know, what type of key changes to do in a song? Um, I'm not going to talk about specifically the effect of each one because that's not what we're concentrating on. But uh, one one is keeping the same tonic, right? So the same tonic means the same home note. So an example of this would be, another way to look at it, by the way, is parallel major or minor. So what this means is, let's say you have a song in C major, then the next song being in C minor might be a relatively natural sounding shift, because it also is not uncommon to go from something like C major to C minor, D major to D minor in the course of a song. Now that has a certain effect that is certainly not the most common, but especially when we are talking about one song into the next, that is one thing to consider. Simply, do they have the same tonic? So going from C major to E major would not be that, right? Because it's it's not the same tonic. It's C and E. Another one is same key signature. So this would be what we call the relative major or relative minor. So if you have a song in C major going to A minor, which is the relative minor of C major. Or if you're in A minor, going to C major, which is the relative major. That would be another one. That would be a natural shift. If you have a song in A minor and the next song is in C major, that will sound very musically natural. That will tell, that will be very, make the musical journey folk very, very, very happy. And then you have the next key signature, in quotes. So this would be two, well, yeah, so there's sort of two different ones within this. Next key signature, what we mean by that is we're either adding a flat or a sharp or removing a flat or a sharp to achieve the quote-unquote next key in specifically think circle of fifths. If you, know, if you know the circle of fifths, that's sort of what I mean by next. So... For example, going from C major to G major would be quote-unquote next, because C major has no sharps or flats, and then G major has one sharp. And then from there, go to D major, which has two sharps. So going from a G major song to a D major song would sound natural, or even a D major to a G major, because then you're just subtracting one sharp. Or C major to F major, that's no sharps or flats to one flat and then F major to B flat major. 
And if you don't know the Circle of Fifths, we're not going to fully cover that here because that would take too long. But the main thing to know here is basically whatever your one chord is of one song, the next quote-unquote key signature is going to be either based off of the four chord or the five chord. So to go back to the C major example, to keep it simple, in the context of C major, C is your one, D is your two, E is your three, F is your four. So if your next song's key signature is F major instead of C major, that would be the four. That would be one of the next key signatures. The other one would be the five. So C, one, D, two, E, three, F, four, G, five. So C major to G major. Now you may notice that when you go up five, that's effectively adding the sharp. And if you're going up by four, that's going more in the flat direction because that's kind of how the circle of... Uh, fifths work um, as far as the fifths is, is, is adding up a fifth every time. Um, the, I, feel, I feel like I want to dive deeper into that, but there's not time. <laughs> so we're, we're going to move on. The main point is next key signature, you're either removing or, or adding a sharp or a flat, depending on if it's already a sharp or flat key. And uh, the easy workaround to that is whatever the name of your key signature is, go up to the fourth or the fifth, is it one of those? Like C major to F major or C major to G major. Also of note, this only works if, if the quality of your key is the same. So major to major, minor to minor. Next tonic would be the fourth and final one. So we said next key signature for the, for the previous one, right? Now we're saying next tonic. So this would be the most traditional key change of all, especially in the context of a song, which is not what we're really concentrating on here, but I figure I'd throw that out there. Oftentimes when you have that like classic 70s key change for the final chorus to give it that, that uplifting feel and make it sound extra epic, you know, the one that's like sometimes super effective and sometimes really corny and it's kind of really, really overused but it is also one of those really overused things that somehow still manages to be effective somewhat. Um, but <laughs> uh, anyway, that would be what I mean by next tonic. So you're going up, uh, sometimes down, but usually you don't want to go down. You want to go up uh, a semitone or a whole tone. So that'd be like going from C major to C sharp major or all the way up to D major or D major to... Um, well, D-sharp major would not be going by the name D-sharp major, but, um, you know, going from, so D to D-sharp or otherwise known as E-flat, which E-flat major is what you would call it because E-flat major is a legit key and D-sharp major is just um, recontextualizing E-flat major, which if you don't know what any of that meant, it's totally unimportant. Don't worry about it. Um, but, uh, and then e, e major, right? So D to E flat or E would be an example. So thinking about how one song goes into the other via all these transitions, right? So if, if you have, which is what I talked about with the first example, right? We had three C major songs and then we transitioned to D major. We didn't go from D major to C major because that'd be going down by the, it wouldn't be the next tonic. It would be the previous tonic going down by a whole tone rather than a semitone. We don't want to do that. We want to go up generally. Or, you know, if we, if we had an album with uh, C major, G major, and then A major, uh, we could, we, we might want to order that from C major to G major because it's going to the next key signature. Although we also could reverse that, but you'll see why I choose C major to G major in a second. And then the third song being A major, the C to G major followed our next key signature in the sense that we had zero sharps and flats to one sharp. So C to G major is a fairly natural transition. The G major chord is the five chord of C major. So we know we can do next key signature by either using the four or the five. And then A major would follow the next tonic rule, right? Because now we're going up a whole tone from G major to A major. We're skipping over G sharp and going to A. So that might be a way to organize your song. And then let's throw in A minor, right? Now, now we have a decision. Do we want to start dark and have A, mi a minor and then use C major, which is, which is its relative major? 
and then do the G major, A major? Or do we want to do C major, G major, and then A major, and then maybe do A minor, which would follow our same tonic rule, right? So those are sort of the, the type of things to be thinking about. And as there are more songs, there's more and more to think about. And um, but, but those are the, the four main things. Same tonic, same key signature, next key signature, next tonic. So basically, if you think of a key like, you know, you have your the name of your tonic, the note, so C, D, F, right? And then you have major or minor. And then all we're doing is we're either keeping the letter the same, same tonic, or we're keeping the key signature the same, which means you just go the relative major or minor, which means that the key signature is the same, which key signature is just, you know, what notes you have. So C major and A minor have the same notes, so that's the same key signature. They both have zero sharps and flats. Next key signature, which I feel like we covered to death, so I won't say talk about that again. And then next tonic, which we also really just talked about. That's your traditional key change, right? Up a semitone or whole tone. So little spoiler alert. This is the one that, I, I, to me, I, I feel like cer certain groups over-prioritize this. I think this is a bonus, not the thing to go after. Because if you have a story to tell in the context of your album... The, your average listener is, you know, barely going to notice a musical journey. Not that it's not important. I think it is important. It's it's a thing to consider at least. Uh, but more important is the the story coming through. You know, if you had a concept album that was telling one singular story, but then it was totally in the order of the musical journey, then it would totally fail. I think because now it's just it's a random shuffle of stories that nobody would even realize all fit together necessarily. Now, that, again, that's an extreme. At the end of the day, probably we're going to take elements of all these because most of our EPs or albums aren't going to have one singular story, right? Um, so in that case, that's where things like the musical journey can come in. Maybe all of your songs, there barely is any connecting tissue as far as story. So maybe musical journey will take more precedence. But there are two more we have to cover, so don't make any decisions yet. Fourth one is the emotional journey. This is thinking about where the energy and emotional ups and downs are and crafting that roller coaster as you want it to be designed. The shorter way of thinking of this is just sonic energy driven. So let's use another concept album to again use sort of an extreme but easy to understand example of what, of what I'm talking about. So let's say you have an album that's generally about rising out of the darkness and recovering from a dark place. Right? Maybe you were in the throes of alcoholism, and it doesn't have to be you. You know, it's the the character of your story is rising out of you know dark depression and alcoholism, substance abuse, and it's about the story of you rising out of that. I was gonna say predicament, but that feels like way too light of a word for 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 you know it's a heavy thing. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. Uh, so you rise out of that. Right? So you probably, in that case, would want each song to progressively get more hopeful sounding. Right? There, there, there might not be a central storyline, per se. It might just be anthology style, in a sense. And most, most are going to be, right? They don't have a anthology meaning, like, here are a bunch of stories that are all kind of occurring around the same time. Um, but there's still a clear central theme, right? Which is going to be rising out of darkness. So maybe your album should open with the most dark song and slowly build to that victorious and joyous finish. And that last song, right, finishes that emotional journey that you're wanting to take the listener on about starting in darkness and eventually rising out of it. And this is also where we start to talk about actually the fourth one. So, you know, the third one is, is a little bit shorter maybe when we're thinking about it, But overall, we're thinking about the the energy ups and downs, right? The emotional journey on a more practical level of the listener. What are they feeling in what order? You know, do, do I want them to start in a low place and then get to a high place? Or do we want it to be uh, the, the song version of the first season of BoJack Horseman, at least as I remember it, uh, which my experience watching that show was I thought I was signing up for an irreverent and possibly kind of inappropriate which it is inappropriate, by the way. Don't let your kids watch it. But, um, uh, you know, cartoon that was 
you know, m- maybe in in the vein of of Family Guy type stuff, right? Inappropriate humor, uh, irreverent as they call it, which doesn't mean it's not necessarily inappropriate. It's just you know a certain brand of humor. Um, and it kind of was that at first, but over the first season, you realized that you were actually watching a deep tragedy. <laughs> um, so they like dupe you almost. I, I don't want to say dupe you because usually that means it's creatively bankrupt and terrible. But um, they, they, you know, it, it starts where it is a comedy and it doesn't stop being a comedy, but it, it gets dark and it gets very very thoughtful and and it, it can fluctuate back and forth but the point is my experience watching the first season my emotional journey if you will was that I sort of came into it and was like oh this is pretty funny and then slowly it built me into oh man yeah this character is funny but his story is tragic uh, and his his character in general is just a, a tragic character that you find yourself feeling sorry for, even even though most of his issues are completely self inflicted. Um, but but that's a, an emotional journey they took me on. Right by the end of the first season, I'm like, wow. Well, now I'm depressed, and then, and then it's just like turned turned into this thing where like every time a new season came out, I'm like, ah, this show is so good, but also like, do I really? Because a- after every season, I have a whole like weekend just in a funk. Because uh, it's just so, uh, I don't know. I, I want to say it's so dark, like it's a super, I don't know, it, it gets to you though. Anyway, that's an example of an emotional journey. So the the musical EP or album equivalent of that would 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 be, you know, start with a brighter song maybe and then take take them on the journey into a dark thing. Or maybe, you know, you start middle ground and you start to get brighter as there's hope in a relationship. Or And again, this doesn't have to be story-driven at all, so it could just be an emotional journey that has nothing to do with telling a, a literal story, right? Because this this is sort of behind that. In the sense that, sure, it, it could be one story you're telling and, you know, that one person gets hope and then their hope is dashed. Uh, but the point of this emotional journey one is it doesn't have to be. Right? So let's say you have 10 totally different songs, but they're all that to different characters, different times of their life, different stories going on. And, you know, may, maybe just the emotional journey that you want to take the listener on is that it starts fairly middle ground, right? Not particularly overly happy or sappy or anything. Uh, not overly sad, and then it sort of rises to to this this high that is just like everything is great in the world, and then you kind of take them down until by the end they're like, man, that got really deep and kind of dark actually. Or maybe you want to do the opposite of that, right? You you actually start middle ground and you get a little darker, but then you give a little hint of hope and it gets brighter for the next couple songs. Brighter, not necessarily sounding, but but brighter, you know, maybe thematically, maybe sounding brighter, right? This could be talking about going from, you know, when I say darker, that could be minor keys and then major keys tending to be brighter. Um, but regardless, the emotional journey overall is sort of just thinking about the listener experience as far as sonically the ups and downs of your EP or album. Probably the hardest one to understand, but uh, let's dive into the practical journey, which is the fourth one, just because it's highly connected with this emotional journey. I would say they're separate, but uh, in the Venn diagram of these four journeys, these are the two that have the most overlap. And I think maybe if we talk about the practical journey, it might help make the emotional journey make a little more sense as well. So the practical journey is simply the part that is driven purely by practicality. So, for example, your album, you probably don't want to have five high-energy songs. That's just relentless energy, followed by five straight ballads. Right? Have you ever heard an album like that? Probably not. And because even if all the songs are great, the relentlessness of the five high-energy songs will, will get somebody going so much that then, you know, first of all, they may get tired out by it, right? Because it's too relentless. There's something to be said for too much of a, of a good thing. Like um, a lot of over-the-top 
screaming, really hard rock stuff gets me just because it's it's too much. There's no, there's no, and again, this is just my opinion. So this is not, I'm not saying it's bad or anything like that. It's just explaining why for me it doesn't work. A lot of times it is completely relentless, right? It's thrashing and it's heavy riffs constantly. There's no parts that feel like they slow down a bit or take a moment to be more pensive or no, it's just relentless, relentless scream, 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 no singing, scream, 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 heavy riff, heavy riff, heavy riff, high tempo, high tempo. And it's just is relentless. And it, so for me, it's just, it starts to all sound the same. Cause it's like, well, you didn't, you didn't like bring me down and then up and then down and up. Um, I don't know how that turned into a criticism of a random genre. But anyway, the, the point I'm trying to make through it, right, is 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 you don't want your album to fall into sort of the equivalent of, of that trap. And even if they did love the relentlessness, right, so in that genre specifically, people who like that genre are going to be okay with the relentlessness um, because they, they probably wouldn't like that genre otherwise. But... If you did really like that, oh man, there's five exciting songs in a row, by the time they get to the third ballad in a row after that, it might feel like a lull, right? It's kind of like if you watch a season of a TV show and it's really exciting at first and it's just as exciting, exciting, exciting. And then the second half of the season is like, oh, we're just going to like calm down and sort of let this like, no, no, no. If anything, you do the opposite, right? And not that this can, you know, we're drawing a lot of analogies here. None of them are perfect, but other, you know, storytelling mechanics perhaps to consider when you're choosing your song order. But um, if you started with a high energy song to capture their energy and excitement, right? Usually you do want to have an opener. That's, that's a pretty exciting song. But then maybe you took it down a couple of notches for each of the next two songs. And then you had another higher energy song or two. And then a small step down in energy and then slowly brought the energy up over the rest of the album. Something like that could work, right? Because you're not, it's not, it's not as extreme. It's not, it's not like, you know, the first half of the album sounds like one artist. That's a hard rock band. And then the second half of the album sounds like it was, you know, a, a, a solo folk player on their guitar. You know, that it should feel like one cohesive unit. And if you just have too much of the extremes and, and a, a line and then it's too much of the same followed by too much of the same, then it starts to lose that feeling. So overall, if you paid attention to how albums are often put together, you may have noticed that albums very commonly do something like the following, which is the opener is usually one of the better songs. Uh, and I would say rarely is the opener of the album not a top four or five song of the album. Sometimes it's a single, but very often it's that type of song that isn't a single, but when you hear it, you're like, oh, how was this not a single? Or this sounds like it could have been a single. And it also is almost always fairly high energy. Rarely will you, will an album start with a slow ballad. Almost never. Right? Usually it's opening with a whole bunch of, uh, you know, a, a bunch of instruments, or even if it does start with a single instrument, right, it's, it tends to be a more high energy, higher tempo song to kind of get, get people into it. It's the same way that in a movie, they usually drop you right into the action. Uh, I think this is the second episode in a row that I'm going to make this reference, but Star Wars Episode Three, you know, that they pan from space per usual after the, the whole scrolling thing. And then boom, giant space battle, right? They just drop you right into the action. There's no warm up to it. No, no, no. Boom, action. And it's nonstop action for like 20 minutes. And a lot of really effective movies do that. It's an effective thing to do. Just drop somebody right into the action and, and, and we're off to the races. Great way to make sure to not bore people early on and uh, just get a quick dive into the story. But... So, so that's very often what happens in the opener. And then you may notice that the main songs and or singles are very often tucked in that two and three slot. Uh, there was a while back in high school where I looked at like all of the albums that I had been buying. And I realized that like literally every all of them, all of them 
Song number two and number three were always singles. Always. Every single one. Um, Other common slots for the singles were the fourth song, sometimes the fifth song. And then sometimes they do the, like, penultimate song, right? So if if there's an 11-song album, they'll do, like, song number two is a single, three is a single, then maybe five is a single, or maybe it's not a single, but then 10 is a single. And then 11 is kind of that slow ballad to finish us out, which is kind of a spoiler for a thing later on. But um, the idea is that two and three slots and four slots tend to be the some of the highlight pieces. And then from there, energy tends tends to ebb and flow a little bit, but but often the less accessible songs are post five. So if you're a death metal band that has slightly less over the top songs, maybe not screaming throughout, but at least a sung chorus or something, the more singing focused songs might be uh, mostly in the top half. Now it depends what their singles are and and who they're trying to market to for for the for most people. But the tendency is the most accessible songs are, are the front five. In fact, an easy way to think about this is if we take a 10-song album, and we'll talk about how to think through EPs and the, the differences in a second, which, by the way, I do recommend doing EPs and not albums um, for several reasons. I think I have a whole episode about that, so we won't get into detail on that here. Uh, the TLDR of it is that uh, EPs are shorter, easier put together, and force you to have five really good songs, whereas albums usually end up becoming like maybe four or five good songs, and then the rest is like, really? Did that even need to be released? Does anybody care about that? Um, uh, but also it's just a, a shorter checkpoint, right? Because you might take two years to work on an album, so then there's so much pressure on it that you feel, uh, whereas with an EP, you know, it's doing an EP a year is, is probably doable. Um, and, and as anybody who's ever done any form of, uh, like productivity stuff, checklists, uh, knows you, there's a psychological win you get from checking something off, right? So even if you release the same amount of songs, like an album, every two, a 10 song album, every two years versus, a a five song EP every year, you're going to feel better probably about the two EPs. You release two different things, even though it's the same amount of songs. Um, anyway, that's the TLDR. But for albums, let's take 10 songs, keep it simple. For the casual fans, um, the songs up until five are going to be almost geared towards them, right? Overall, the artist's main sound as perceived by the masses. So all the people who mostly just know their singles and have maybe heard one or two of their other songs because one of their friends showed it to them. And they're like, yeah, I love Coldplay, even though, you know, really what they mean by that is that they love Clocks and, uh, you know, The Scientist and Yellow and, you know, ho- hopefully not some of the newer stuff. But <laughs> regardless, uh, that's what they mean by they love Coldplay, right? Have they ever actually listened to a Coldplay album? Probably not. Um, so up until five... The first half of the album is targeted towards that crowd, right? Where they can listen to the first five songs, and then by the time six or seven comes on, they're like, "Uh, all right, let's turn this off. And then the songs past five tend to be more for diehard fans, right? So that's where the artists can be more experimental, can break more out of the traditional sound, are, you know, songs that don't sound like they they would be singles, whereas the top half, even the songs that aren't singles, probably sound like they sort of could be singles. So the top half is overall, for, you know, the artist advertising who we are that is accessible, right? That's their sales pitch, if you will. And then, um, and then the second half, uh, often is split into like two halves itself. The top of the second half is often who we are and who we want to be from our diehard fans. These these are the songs that are like, we really love these songs. They couldn't be singles for this reason or another. But man, we love this, right? So maybe it's, if it's a harder rock band that they, they have sort of radio-friendly singles. So the top half of the album is their more radio-friendly stuff. But then their hard rock stuff that they really love, that they kind of wish could be their main sound, might be songs six and seven or eight. And then the end of, of the album is very much tends to be stuff that we want to do that's not for everyone. 
So that's usually where you see your super long songs, right? Like if you if you have an album that has most songs averaging four minutes, you know, some, some maybe go up to five and some are like three, but like for the most part, they're all, you know, s- single area for length, right? Because a, a single ideally is now probably less than four minutes, but back in the day it was, you know, around four minutes and probably for the crowds we're targeting around four minutes. But um, for that end of album, that's where we can get maybe our super long songs. And you probably have noticed that you have probably never, unless you're listening to certain artists that have all long songs or mostly long songs, or their main stuff is long songs, like Dream Theater, for instance. If you're, if you're listening to them, that's going to be an exception to the rule. But for most artists, if they have that one song that's like, you know, this 10-minute song, that's probably deep in the album, right? You don't have the first song's four minutes and the second song is nine. Like, that's just, that's just I, I don't think I've ever seen that. If I ever see a seven, eight, nine-minute song, it is always, always in the last quarter of the album. Legitimately, I've never seen anything different. I'm not saying other different things don't exist. I'm just saying it can't be common because I pay attention to that. So I, I, I assume your experience will be similar. Now, another thing that we can do and that is common to throw towards the end of the album is sort of the more experimental stuff. You have a song that's a huge departure from what you are. Um, so maybe you have, you know, your rock band, but you had this one experimental, weird, gnarly electronic song that you wanted to put on the album that you thought fit well or was a cool departure. You probably are throwing that in that back quarter, that last quarter of the the album. Or another example, right, acoustic or super soft songs. It's got to be 90% of albums, it, it probably depends on genre, but for your average like pop rock, you know, or country, or I probably shouldn't speak for country. I don't really know. This is an educated guess. Pop act. So for a lot of your quote unquote mainstream artists, it feels like almost guaranteed the last song sometimes is like a single to, you know, instead of putting it as a penultimate song, they put it as the ultimate song sometimes. Um, but very often, very often, that is where they throw that really, really soft acoustic song, right? That song that's just a piano ballad. It's a piano and the singer singing, or a guitar and the singer singing, or some are even like a cappella, right? Like literally just the singer singing with like some some sort of vague synth stuff in the background that's mostly just pads. So. Overall, it's pretty common to just have the energy fade at or towards the end of the uh, of the album. And overall, if you have a super long song, that's probably towards the end of the album. So what about what about an EP? We've talked a lot about albums, and I also touched on how I highly recommend doing an EP and not an album. So I sort of see an EP like a hybrid of the top half of an album and then the album as a whole. So maybe the first, let's say it's a five-song EP. Maybe the first four would be the first four songs in your album if you had written an album. And then song five is like uh, the album finale, that really soft finishing song, right? Uh, this is actually more more or less what I am going for on actually both of the EPs that I'm working on, uh, one of which is Vocals Away From Being Done, as it has been for way too long. I'm trying to... Uh, cut down on actually actually I'll throw this in there those of you who pay attention to the YouTube channel just know over the next month I, I have some projects I really have to wrap up that uh, releasing two videos and one podcast a month I just or a week sorry uh, I realize is not I, I just don't have time for some of the project stuff that I, I need to get done so basically just for this month I think we're gonna be going down to one video a week just so you know uh, it's not me saying, hey, I'm only going to do one video a week forever. I fully expect to go back to two videos a week at the end of the month, uh, maybe a little later, but at, certainly at some point, um, but just so you know. Anyway, not the point. Both the EPs are actually going for sort of that that type thing. But overall, a, a part of the reason I like an EP is it really makes you concentrate on who who am I as an artist really, you know? 
Uh, and if you have some experimental side songs, just release them separately, just as a, a side thing, right? Like, eh, throw it out there. You know, we don't, we're all, I assume, we're all independent artists that don't have a record deal or anything like that. We don't have official singles, right? We can call something a single, but really it's a fairly meaningless term. So you can just, you know, release demo tapes, if you will, or, or you know, singles, if you want to call them that, or just random other songs, right? But as far as your EPs, that should be where your identity is coming from, artist-wise. Um, so, so really just looking at it like, you know, if we were to take an album and have to cut it down into an EP, who would survive? You know, what, what songs would survive? Um, because it's, it's, it's really just going for the highlight reel. Right. It's sort of like the the NFL thing where they let you uh, basically watch a 30 minute condensed version of the game where it just cuts out all the ads and all the time where plays aren't running or whatever, you know, cut cut out the fluff. Um, but overall, it's still taking somebody on a journey on an EP, right? It's just a shorter journey. So you have to think about what are the most important elements of that journey. Well, the things you probably don't have time for is the super experimental song. The stuff you probably don't have time for is the stuff that's a significant departure from your sound. Um, so you're probably wanting to concentrate on things that would be singles or are close, are very much your sound and what you want your identity to be. And then maybe, you know, that acoustic version of what you want to be. Or maybe not that part, but regardless, if you're going to put together an EP or an album, you're going to need to write some songs and you're going to have to need, you're going to have to get a list of four to 12 killer songs to put together, right? Because an album, yeah, you can go above 12 songs, but let's be honest, what, why, right? Probably don't. I would recommend just 10, call it 10. Um, and then an EP, it's not really an EP. Once you're at like three songs, it feels like it's not a real EP. I think technically an EP, you can start to label it an EP at three songs, but really at four songs is where it starts to be a legit EP. So maybe you're there. If you are, go ahead, get going, get recording, get working on it. Or maybe you're already part of the way there, in which case, keep going. That's awesome. That's exciting. You should definitely send it to me when you are... Uh, when it's done and when it's released, I'd love to hear it. Uh, but if not, or if maybe you're in that situation, which I've definitely been in, where you have like, you know, you want a five song EP, you got four of them down, you have other songs, but it doesn't really feel like they fit either thematically or story wise, right? When we thinking about the journeys we're talking about here, right? You know, maybe they don't fit with the story journey, musical journey, emotional journey, or practical journey. Uh, so it's like, yeah, you know, this doesn't really fit. So, you know, maybe you need a little jump start to your songwriting or your creativity. Uh, originally, I think what I actually called this free guide was the songwriting jump start. Maybe it's still labeled that in, in some places. I honestly don't remember. Um, but be sure to check it out. Songwritertheory.com slash free guide gives you 10 different ways to start writing a song. Five from a lyrical standpoint. Five from a musical standpoint, so whether you prefer lyrics first or music first, there are five ways for you, and I recommend mixing it up. I personally prefer and generally lean more towards uh, music first, although sometimes I do lyrics first, uh, sort of, where basically I do lyrics first in quotes, meaning you know I come up with a cool symbol or a cool uh, a title or song concept and then write the music from there. But I don't actually write out all the lyrics and finish the lyrics before I get started on music. Uh, so whether you consider that lyrics first or not is, you know, to be debated. Because ultimately, usually in songwriting, it's, it's really a hybrid, right? It's pretty rare that you write the entirety of the lyrics and then the entirety of the music, or the entirety of the music and then the entirety of the lyrics. Uh, that's, pr that's probably more on the rare side, especially doing the entire poem first, if you will, and then the music unless you're somebody who started as a poet then that's probably how you do things but regardless be sure to check that out songwritertheory.com slash free guide great way to get a jump start on your creativity which is something that we all need sometimes whether we're making an ep or not hopefully this was helpful to you if it was way you can help me out is just by going to apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and leaving a kind preferably five-star review if you feel that this podcast deserves it if you feel it doesn't deserve it then you know maybe don't 
do me a favor and <laughs> don't leave a review, I guess. But uh, I appreciate every single one of you. I still need to get to emails. I'm a little bit behind on that part because I'm working on so many things at once, uh, which one of those things, by the way, is for songwriter theory, in case you're wondering. Yes, I have to finish my own personal EP, uh, but but another project I'm working on has to do with songwriter theory. Won't talk about that yet, but figure I'll throw that little mini preview out there. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. I appreciate you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Choose songwriter theory today. I appreciate that. Go have an awesome week. Get some songwriting and make sure you're spending at least at least some time songwriting. I've said this before. I haven't said it in a while. I'm going to say it again. If you find yourself listening to, you know, this week's podcast, and let's say you're listening to it when it's coming out, and then you find yourself listening to next week's podcast, which comes out a week from now, and you haven't done any songwriting, turn it off. Don't listen to two of my podcasts in a row, you know, with a week separated without getting some songwriting in. Because ultimately, the best way to learn songwriting is to actually do it. Um, this is certainly, you know, lear learning via YouTube videos and having teachers and podcasts are great ways to learn. But ultimately, ultimately, you can learn the slow and hard way just by songwriting. And... But if you just listen to podcasts and never actually songwrite, then you can have all this head knowledge, but you don't really know, right? At that point, it's like knowing history facts. Like, that's cool. It will help you in trivia. But ultimately, it doesn't help you build something or create something. And ultimately, that's the goal, right? You want to be creating music. So as much as I appreciate you listening to this podcast, um, which I hope I make very clear by saying it 5,000 times an episode, um, Ultimately, you need to make sure that you're songwriting. So don't listen to, to too much of me without actually going out and doing some songwriting yourself. Anyway, that's it for that lecture. Hope this was helpful to you. Thank you so much for listening. I will talk to you in the next one.